This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. It's been a long time since we did this, but uh, Josh and I have been busy through the holiday season and releasing episodes of the podcast and vernacular and credo Catholic and all kinds of stuff. But we're be- we're glad to be back now with another episode of Breaking Bad. But first of all, Josh, Merry Christmas. How was your Christmas? Merry Christmas to you too. My Christmas is great. We are in a new house. I think we mentioned this on the podcast that Maureen and I moved to a new house, a bigger place, and we still have boxes everywhere, but you know, it's starting to feel a little bit more like a home and I'm sure it will by next Christmas feel especially like a home. So everything was good. How was your Christmas? It was great. We're, we're trying to still celebrate it. We, uh, you know, we have 12 days to celebrate Christmas, so you might as well make the most of those. So we're, Absolutely. We, we've done a couple things to that end. We have kind of spread out a lot of the hospitality. So for example, yesterday on the third day of Christmas, we had some of my family over just for a, a dinner and some time of of fellowship. And then uh, we're doing presents for the kids also spread out through the 12 days. And I think it's actually kind of nice. I mean, I take, I take my kids point that they want a ton of presents on Christmas morning. <laughs> but as a kid, I remember that evening, Christmas night, just being, you kind of go into like a little bit of a malaise because it's all over, right? And like, there's a huge yep. letdown after the, all of the excitement of the Christmas season building up to it. You open all the presents that morning and then there's nothing else. So it's kind of nice. We can, we can kind of let our kids down uh, more gently by spreading out the presents. And then we've decided this year to do um, stockings on Epiphany as if the Ooh, wise men, the wise men bring the nice. gifts. So, so that's, that's, that's nice. going to be kind of fun, to, fun way to cap it off. So we're, we're still in the midst of the celebration, but our Christmas day was a lot of fun and, uh, and really good. Our first one here in Colorado. So that was exciting. Um, yeah, pretty cold. Yeah. Maybe uh, cold. Colder cold. than Texas. It's, and I would say today, actually, uh, it is the coldest day of the year. I don't know if that's what the mercury reads, in the thermometer, but it's super windy and yeah. dry and like snow flurries blowing and everything. So it, it just yeah. feels like, it feels like the coldest day of the year. feels so like far. winter. You it know really what I will does. say about, about the Christmas holiday, you know, ex- extending it over the 12 days is that my son has been really into listening to Mickey Mouse Christmas, the songs, and <clears throat> you know, I'm really tired of listening to them. I bet. <laughs> but, but I can't, but, but you know, I can't be like Christmas is over because it's not really over. It's right. And I want him to, you know, know that it, it is 12 days of celebration, but I'm really ready to be done with Mickey Mouse <laughs> Christmas tunes. It's I, like a lot. It's like the Mickey Mouse voices singing all your favorite Christmas classics is, oh, is, a, is a little much. That sounds awful, actually. That sounds yeah. ear splitting. What you should do next year is just not let him listen to it until Christmas. Yeah, that's a good point. And then he's got 12 days, but y- you know it's only 12 days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'll be into some, some other music by that point. Probably. But- you know, that's the only thing I'm counting down to be, you know, I'm, I'm excited for Christmas to be over just for that. That's but otherwise, but otherwise, very joyful. Good, good. I'm glad to hear, it, man. I'm happy that you guys are in the new house and everything. It's always yes. fun celebrating a new holiday in a new house. So yes. And we have a fireplace now. And so did you, you get know, a real that's tree? Exciting. We got a real tree. Nice. We yes. did too. Uh, we the, we got it, it at Lowe's yeah. and uh-huh. um, in Colorado here, you can like get a $10 or $20 permit and then go cut your own tree down. Mm-hmm. We, um, that was just a little more involved because you, know, you have to kind of, you have to drive a little bit of a ways yeah. to do that and everything. Yeah, so yeah. we just went to Lowe's. And of course, those trees are all chopped down months earlier and just put in freezers, right. right? So they're not the best trees. It's not super scented, but it is real. So we're happy about that. But um, basically from day one, the needles have been really falling off aggressively. <laughs> so yeah. uh, by the end, we're going to have a pretty, pretty naked looking Charlie Brown Christmas tree, yeah, I think. I was going to say Charlie Brown tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll see. We're just, we're just fingers crossed the whole way. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll cut down a tree when your kids are a little bit older. That'll be fun. Fun activity. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, All right. Well, should we talk about this episode? Let's talk about it. Cool. Well, like I said, it's been a while. Would you believe, Josh, the last time we did a Breaking Pot episode was November 9th? (laughs) Too long. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. We need to be better. It seems like it was, it was before that, but yeah, I think 2020 we'll, we'll get more on a regular schedule. Yeah. That's, that's one of my goals as well. So yeah. this is season two, episode seven. In season two, episode six, we talked about Peekaboo. Um, and just a very quick 10-second recap of that episode. Uh, Jesse has to go track down the guy who robbed him. Uh, robbed him via his dealer, Skinny Pete. And he does. He threatens him with a gun. He ends up you know, getting knocked unconscious. And then 
Um, long story short, watches as this man's wife actually kills him by crushing him under an ATM. So that horrifies Jesse. He's also just sort of horrified by the entire environment of the home. There's a young kid there, etc. So he teaches the kid how to play peekaboo um, and uh, puts him out on the front porch, calls the cops, and gets out of there. So Jesse, as we start season two, episode seven here that we're talking about today, Jesse's still very shaken up from that. And that's what we're following directly on the heels of that whole incident in Jesse's life, which was very traumatizing and has uh, has changed the direction, I think, of the Walt and Jesse partnership for uh, for the foreseeable future. So today's episode, Negro y Azul, which, uh, pardon my pronunciation, I'm not, a, I'm not a Spanish speaker, unfortunately, but that translates to black and blue. Now, the title of the episode pretty obviously uh, plays on colors, right? And I think we can interp- interpret black and blue in a couple different ways. The most obvious one being like when you get hit, right, and you're all bruised, you say, I'm black and blue. Uh, in other words, I'm beaten up, I'm hurting. Um, I think we could also maybe uh, think about the use of the word black here to talk maybe about the sort of descent into darkness of this show's arc, maybe of certain characters like Walt, and we can talk about that as the discussion progresses. And then blue, the color of meth, and there are several references to it in this episode specifically. I'll talk in a little bit about the opening song, but they talk about the... Um, the color blue of the drug, the, the meth that's on the streets. Uh, but think back to um, the very beginning of the show, actually, when Walt is filming himself on the camcorder and he, he gives his address. He lives on 378 Negra Arroyo Drive, which translates to Black Creek. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, that, uh, that Walt lives on Black Creek Drive, right? So there's, there, there's, a, there's a way that Gilligan likes to play with colors on this. And he was one of the primary writers on this. Um, it was written by... Vince Gilligan and John Sheba in this episode, directed by Felix Enrique Alcala, um, who has only directed this episode of Breaking Bad. I mean, he's, he's directed lots of other things, but as, as far as Breaking Bad goes, this is it. So um, a unique touch from the director here, and Gilligan is one of the main writers. So um, I think that's cool. There's a lot to talk about in here. Um, we're not going to talk, we're not going to make it too long of an episode here, but um, there's a lot going on in this episode. Uh, anything I missed there, Josh, before I jump into the summary? No, I think that's that's about it. Um, I think your point about you know the black and blue referring to a bruise, I think, is interesting, especially when you think about the character of Jesse, who has really been bruised and and hurt, you know, in a lasting way by this event with the ATM and and the the skull crushing that he had to witness and and go through, and the child who is in danger that he probably saved. And I think that that's an interesting way to look at this episode. It's really like Jesse, you know having a difficult time coming out of that and we see him sort of like on his floor in his apartment not really being able to do anything and I think that you know thinking about the way that a bruise sort of lingers over time even after you get the initial hurt that is an interesting uh you know way to look at this episode yeah I think that's absolutely right and uh again speaks to the the depth of thought that goes into even just naming these episodes there's right a, there's, exactly there's often a lot to unpack there Well, let's dive into the summary, and then we'll go into our normal best moment, best scene, best writing categories, um, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with some MVP voting. All right, so uh, this this song or this this episode starts with a uh, what I would call an an interesting or a unique opening sequence, and that's this sort of mariachi like band um, that is singing a song about some gringo named Heisenberg. All right, so it's basically about how this guy, this gringo named Heisenberg, is now running the town. Uh, the cartel is not getting any respect because he's that. Um, there's also lines in there. I mentioned the the blue color referred to in this episode. This is where it is. The uh, the singers say that the color of this drug is blue and the quality is pure. And they say this potent drug's running through the city. No one could stop it if they wanted to. And so this this scene is not just that excerpt that I played. It's actually I timed it. It's a three minute twenty second long song, and we're just yeah. watching. It almost feels Josh like one of those like early two thousands or late nineties music videos. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's this trio of guys playing the guitar and singing about this. And then we also see these, these um, kind of cuts to Walt or a guy that looks like him. We never quite see his face, but that's Heisenberg, right? And then the interesting thing is this song ends with, but that homie's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. Um, and it shows Heisenberg laying on the ground dead. 
So um, a bit yeah. foreboding there. And then we cut to credits. And of course, we have those the brief Breaking Bad opening credits. And then the real opening scene is Walt in the chemistry room. Now, of course, Josh, as we've said before, whenever there's a lesson going on in the chemistry room, we have to pay attention because it's something that has to do with the show. These are not random, arbitrary, time-filling scenes. There's, there's something being communicated here, normally by Walt to his students or a student uh, that's worth listening to. And in this case, he's talking to a student who failed his test about bonds and the importance of bonds. Chemical bonds are what make matter matter. Bonds are what hold the physical world together, what hold us together. So I want to come back to that idea of, of what holds us together in a moment. But we'll just go on for the sake of the summary for now. So, you know, the student wants a better grade on his test. He asks if he can just slide this one time. And Walt first looks sympathetic, and then he's like, don't bullshit a bullshitter. <laughs> if you want a better grade, apply yourself. <laughs> um, so he's not having it. Uh, he also kind of makes, I think, an implicit or explicit admission in some way about himself, right? Don't bullshit yeah. a bullshitter. Um, then uh, Walt calls Jesse from there, goes by his house when Jesse doesn't pick up the phone. And then he, he uh, meets Jane there. He says, I'm actually Jesse's dad. I really need to talk to him. Um, Jesse eventually opens the door. And then he's going on and on to Jesse. Jesse's saying, I took care of that thing that you wanted me to take care of. And Walt's saying, um, you know, what, what do you mean? What happened? And uh, just saying he's dead now, okay? Implying that Jesse killed him, but obviously that's not the case. Walt figures it out when he counts the bullets in the gun and realizes they're all there. So he looks at Jesse like, wait, what happened? And then Jesse's like, well, I didn't say I killed him. And so anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. And Walt's just um, uh, impressed, I think is the wrong word. Walt is perhaps surprised that this happened at all. But now he's worried that Jesse might have a target on his back, that the police might figure out that he was there, et cetera. It might draw unwanted attention to the operation that Jesse and Walt have going on. And then Jesse basically is saying he's out of the game now. He just wants to forget all of that ever happened. And Walt looks at him. He has that sort of incredulous Walter White look. And then he says, sorry, and then walks out. And, you know, that could be the end of the show, right? Like it could potentially end there. But of course, um, that's not what happens. Uh, Walt, Walt will get his way in the end. And then we cut to, to uh, Hank. Now, Hank's been transferred to the border. Is it El Paso these transferred to, Josh? I was trying to remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, El Paso, So he, he's in El Paso, and obviously the El Paso DEA is doing a lot of work down there to bust up the cartels. Um, but he's out of place. He's the only guy who doesn't speak Spanish, which I, I mean, I kind of side with the El Paso guys here on this, Josh. Why would, why would they send somebody down there to the border who doesn't speak Spanish? It seems like a bad idea. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So he can't understand half of what's going on around him because a lot of the guys are native speakers and they talk to each other in Spanish all the time. Um, he laughs out of place just to act like he knows the joke when everyone knows he doesn't actually speak Spanish. So it's just, it's awkward. Uh, Hank, of course, not known for his, his, um, sensitivity in jokes. So his jokes kind of fall flat. It's just an awkward, awkward thing, but he rides along, um, to an interrogation of a guy named Tortuga, which means turtle and Tortuga exchanges information with the DEA. Um, he, get, he tells them, you know, where, where stuff is happening, when it's happening, who, who sources are. And they buy him stuff out of Sky Mall. <laughs> so he tells them he tells them where and when this big meet's going down. Then we cut to the Albuquerque National Atomic Museum, uh, where Walt is meeting with Jesse's dealers. Um, and I want to come back to this as well in just a minute. Um, but Walt learns here that the whole crew, and by extension the whole town, thinks Jesse actually crushed this guy's head with the ATM. So now everyone's scared of Jesse and Walt. And to Walt, obviously, that's a good thing. So Walt doesn't explicitly confirm this, but he, he does kind of implicitly do so. Um, then we cut to Skyler. Skyler's trying to get a job at her old construction firm where she was an accountant. Um, she encounters some hostility from um, other women in the lobby there who are looking at her, noticing that she's pregnant. And, and uh, I don't know, it's kind of, I, I have a nit to pick about that later too, but people don't like the fact that she's pregnant. There's also very clearly some sexual tension, Josh, between her and, uh, and Ted Beneke. It's super mm -hmm. awkward, but Ted is yep. now the boss of the company. Um, now he owns the company rather he was, um, I think he was a higher up in the company. His dad started the company, um, back when Scott worked there before, but, um, he offers her her old job. So she's, uh, back working as a bookkeeper there and has this weird, um, maybe, maybe even a history, but there's definitely a sexual tension there. And then, um, then we're back to Walt. He convinces Jesse to go back, to go back out there. We're going to talk about that, uh, in a few minutes too. Uh, we'll play a little bit of that clip. And then um, Skyler tells Walt she's going back to work. He's not thrilled. Jane learns that Jesse is not actually Jesse Jackson, but Jesse Pinkman. And she uh, suspects he's up to illegal activity, but it doesn't bother her too much. 
And then we're back on the border. We see Hank um, with the DEA guys. They're at the meat location. They're watching it go down, or they're hoping to watch it go down. And then they see the head of their source, Tortuga, affixed to a turtle, just crawling across the desert landscape. And they uh, drive out there quickly. They see Ola DEA painted on the side. Hank is sick, runs back to the car um, to try to get a grip or puke or something. And then while he does, the turtle explodes, kills some of the agents, maims others. Um, Hank's overwhelmed, kind of having one of his PTSD episodes. Um, and then we see uh, Skyler and Ted back in the, the office the first day of her work at Beneke. Again, they're doing some low-key flirting. It's just, it's, just, it's just awkward and uncomfortable to watch. I don't know what your impression was, Josh. But uh, Then we're back to Jesse and Jane in the final scene. They're sitting together in front of Jesse's big screen, which, by the way, is a blue screen. Um, and it is literally searching for connection to the satellite. So it's something blue searching for a connection, and then, uh, then they hold hands, and we cut to the credits. That's the summary. Josh, what I miss? I think you got everything in there. There are just so many little moments in this. You know, when I was thinking about this episode at first, this is not my favorite episode of the second season, but it does set up a lot, you know, with the stuff with Skylar and Ted Beneke, the stuff with, you know, <clears throat> Jesse and Jane. We're starting, starting to see their relationship come through. Um, it really is more like a transition episode, but there's a lot of fun moments throughout. Yeah, there really are. And there are, there, there, there's, there's layers on layers, I think, of things too. So we could probably easily talk about this stuff for three hours, but obviously for the sake of time, we're not going to do that. But I do want to talk about a couple of things. One, going back to that Bonds conversation that I played, where um, Jesse or where Walt is saying that Bonds are what, what makes matter matter and what holds everything together, what holds us together. I think he very deliberately, the, the script is very deliberate, deliberate there in having what holds us together because, yes, it's true that Walt is talking about chemistry bonds, specifically as he tells the student in a, in a part of the clip I didn't, did not play, ionic and covalent bonds. Those are the types of bonds that you find a chemist talking about. But other people, sociologists, for example, psychologists, will talk about social bonds or psychosocial bonds, you know, and those truly are the things that hold us together, right? Um, familial bonds, right, between members of a family. These things are what hold us together. And to me, this episode is teed up by that conversation about ionic and covalent bonds, because this episode really is about various bonds, either new bonds being formed, even if they're kind of distorted or perverted, um, or old bonds being frayed. So, Think, for example, of Hank, right? He leaves his Albuquerque DEA office and goes down to be the liaison in the El Paso office. So there's a bond severed, but also a new bond that he's trying to form with his, um, with his new colleagues in El Paso, and it's not working, right? So he's having trouble bonding with his new coworkers. We see Skylar and Walt, obviously, uh, held together by the bond of marriage, but they're drifting further and further apart. They're not talking to each other now. She's going and getting a job before even consulting Walt um, and asking him his opinion on that. And he's not happy when she does, uh, not happy that she didn't talk to him, not happy that she's back working at her old employer, all of these things. Um, and, and it's clear that, they're, that they're, their marriage is just sort of fraying at the seams. Um, and then Skylar is reestablishing a relationship with her old boss. And, and maybe it's a, it's a you know, previously sexual relationship. We just don't know at this point, but, but there's something between them that's weird. Um, Walt and Jesse are becoming more like father and son. Uh, and in this episode, Walt even explicitly claims to Jane that I am Jesse's dad. Um, and then, you know, Jesse refers to him as that only kind of, uh, I guess, in a tongue-in-cheek way. But there's, a, there's a, a strength, an added strength to that bond, I think. And then Jane and Jesse, of course, become an item at the very end as they hold hands. So uh, this theme of bonds, I think, really resonates with me as I watch this episode. Um, because the bonds are what hold us together. And so as the show progresses, as the characters develop, as we see um, the arc of the show mature, we really are seeing bonds come in and out of existence. And some of the bonds are bad and some of them are good, but things are not trending well. Yeah, I think that the thing about the bonds that's interesting is that if you think about when a person is alone or doesn't have any connection with anybody else, that's when they're at their lowest. So you could see when Jesse is sort of holed up in his apartment, he's not connecting with anybody and he physically can't do anything. I mean, he's just sitting on the, the ground of his 
apartment smoking weed. Right. And then, you know, Walt is sort of floundering without Jesse to sort of like be his partner, you know, when he can't get in touch with him. And Jesse says, look, I would want to be done with this for a little while. Walt is sort of like left to figure things out by himself and he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. And so he goes and tries to create new bonds with Skinny Pete and Badger and who's the other guy? I can't remember his name. Yeah, I, I was trying to remember it as well. I don't remember. I'll, I'll say, look it up uh, while you're chatting. Lip piercing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, so I think it's important to look at the bonds that do exist, but also to look at when the bonds aren't in existence, because that's when the characters really seem to be flailing most. And I think that there is one bond you left out, and that would be Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, and his bond with Raisin Bran Crunch. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, so, uh, that, that, that's also on my nits to pick. I don't know if you looked ahead on our Google <laughs> notes here. I haven't. No, but that's a, you know, Walt Jr. loves breakfast, and I think that's a key bond. He doesn't have anybody else in his life. He certainly well, doesn't have a father who cares. And it's a key bond, but then what, what happens when he doesn't have that, right? <laughs> exactly. It's no, a I think you're combo, by the way. That's the, that's combo. the third guy's name. Right, right, right. Yeah, Badger, right. Skinny Pete, and Combo. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Combo is the, the third forgotten uh, three musketeer there. Well, and he's not in El Camino, right? It's just Skinny right, Pete right. and Badger. So he, yeah. something happens to Combo. He probably runs afoul of the, wall, uh, of the <laughs> law and uh, lands himself in prison. Yeah. No, I think your, your point about the bonds, though, is, is well taken, though. I mean, I think that this episode in particular shows what happens when people come together and what happens when they split apart and what effect that has on the different characters. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention before we go into our best scene, best moment, etc., is uh, this theme of the turtle. Now, when I first watched this episode, really the first like three times I watched this episode, the turtle to me was meaningless but then on the fourth rewatch as i was going through it this morning i was at the gym and i was just like i'm just gonna watch this through before we talk about it today on my fourth rewatch i noticed in the beginning of the first scene in the uh, atomic museum we hear this interesting song and i'm gonna play part of it here i found the full song on youtube i'll play a few seconds of it here but this is what we hear the first time we're seeing the international atomic museum so josh this i don't know if you've ever heard this song i had not no it's not in my spotify top 100 <laughs> exactly well it may be now it's pretty uh it'll be stuck in your head maybe almost as much as uh mickey mouse's christmas yeah uh, but this this is really from an earlier time a time that we we don't re- remember, uh, and that's the Cold War when uh, you know everyone thought that the possibility of nuclear war was very real and potentially imminent. And so, in the United States, there was a big public relations campaign to make sure, or I, I guess I should call it a public education campaign, to make sure everyone knew how to react to a nuclear attack. And um, this was made in 1951. There's a little animated kind of cartoon video that goes along with it. And it's a story about a turtle named Bert. He never got hurt because he was always so alert you know, always knew what to do. <laughs> and uh, whenever there was trouble, he would just duck and cover. And then if you, if you go look at this on YouTube, just search like Turtle Bert, uh, B-E-R-T, um, duck and cover. And uh, you can find this whole like, you know, 10 minute video of Turtle Bert. But the idea was let's teach kids um, how to respond and how to duck and cover if they're in a, an area that's being targeted. So that's interesting. That, the first time we hear that song in this episode is right after the meeting with Tortuga. So it's a very clear linkage, right, between Tortuga, who Hank is meeting with the other DEA agents, and this turtle bird that we're hearing about. And the interesting thing is, Tortuga, in the first meeting, says, um, when he's talking to Hank, Hank's upset that Tortuga's moving so slowly. He's just like, what, what, what does he say? Stop... Uh, uh, stop dragging this out or something. He says something, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And says, like, if you don't stop this, I'm going to kick your ass. And then Tortuga looks at him and says, hey, look, white boy, uh, you know what Tortuga means? And then I think Hank says, like, well, if I was <laughs> guessing, it's Spanish for asshole. <laughs> and he's like, it means turtle. He's like, I may be slow, but I always win. And so yeah. it's interesting because you see that and you're like, okay, this guy does, he seems very confident. He seems like he's, you know, running to the cartel a lot. He probably knows what he's talking about. Always slow, but always wins. Okay, got it. Um, and then we hear this song about Turtle Bert, right? This really safe turtle who was always alert and never got hurt, et cetera, because he knew what to do. And so we're like, okay, the turtle is a 
is an image of uh, is, is is an image a motif in this episode of safety. And then the next time we hear or see a turtle, it's it's when Tortuga's head is sitting on top of the turtle, crawling across the desert. And obviously, this gets Hank really shaken up, uh, and the DEA agents uh, think it's funny. Uh, but then the turtle blows up and kills at least several of the DEA agents and wounds others. And so now this motif is flipped on its head. The first half of the episode, we have this idea of like the turtle as, um, as safe and wise and having an impenetrable shell. But now the turtle, the character Tortuga, has been killed. And the turtle, the turtle's shell has actually become a casing in a very real sense for an explosive device that kills people. Um, and so that might not mean anything by itself, but then when you think back to the very first song, that, that mariachi song where they're, they're singing about this gringo Heisenberg who's ahead of the cartel and the cartel's getting no respect, then they say, you know, the cartel's never lost yet. This homie's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. And um, I, think, I think Heisenberg or Walt in this is the turtle, right? Because he's very methodical in everything he does. He always thinks one step ahead. Um, and he, it seems like he's going to win, but the lesson of this episode is that you know not even the turtle can can win, right? And so it's uh it it I think makes it even more ominous for Walt, you know, pairing the turtle commentary throughout with the mariachi song at the beginning. Walt's future does not look very bright if if this episode is to be is to be believed. What do you think of that interpretation, Josh? Yeah, I think that sounds right, and. I think this just goes to show you how smart the Breaking Bad writer's room was because who, you know, was writing this episode or or when they were breaking the episode, who thought, I remember this song about this, this turtle named Bert, you know, during the Cold War. I mean, that's a, that's a deep cut, you know, for them to pull that out and to include it in the episode in a thematic way is super impressive. So I want to say that up front. I do want to go back to the opening song because we didn't we didn't really talk through it yet and when i rewatched the episode a couple days ago in preparation for the episode i was just thinking it's such a weird opening to the episode because i think what it is intended to do is sort of establish where we are like walt thinks he's on top of the world running this whole business but really he doesn't know what's coming and eventually this could kill him type of a thing it seems like a super on the nose, totally random thing for the audience at this point. Like, I can't really figure out why they didn't try to insert that information a little bit more organically into the episode. You know, I, I think it was, it's like a fun opening. I think the song went on a little bit too long, if we're being it honest. Did, like, yeah, I, I agree. I was like, I was like, are we done with this yet? Yeah. Um, you know, and I did like some of the lines, like when they were talking about like New Mexico's living up to its name. It's like the New Mexico, like we, you know, yep. now they have yep. all the drugs. I thought that was a clever line, but I can't really figure out why the song was so long and opened the episode really to sort of like tell the audience exactly what they wanted you to think, because that's not typically Breaking Bad's mo. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, the whole time I'm watching it, especially the first time I watched it, I was like, what is what is going on? What am I supposed to be right. taking away from this? Uh, it is very interesting. And it did go on way too long. I think 60 seconds would have been much <laughs> more, more than enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 60 yeah. seconds probably, probably would have been a good amount, you know, but three yeah. minutes yeah, and yeah. 20 seconds. I mean, that's a that's a full length song on an album, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, but I think your point about the, you know, Walt as the turtle, I think that's interesting. And I definitely think poor turtle at the end right he just gets blown to smithereens horrible first spray painted and then blown up i i did want to ask did you think the explosives were in the turtle or were they in the head i guess i mean they probably would have been in the head right yeah yeah pretty creepy yeah the cartel's not not known for their subtlety no not at all yeah and it's just i mean it's just happenstance that that hank was not close by it's because he couldn't handle the severed head that he had to right I, I think he's still dealing with some ptsd from his interaction with tuco for sure you know like that that was basically what got him promoted to el paso but it has left him with sort of an inability to be in these difficult kind of gross situations that are sort of called for when you are a border dea agent and you're dealing with the cartel right yep um that's what i had in broader thoughts and themes you want to go on to the best scene best moment stuff yeah, let's do it. All right, how about you start with the uh, 
head on the turtle actually while we're here best scene yeah so my favorite scene from the episode was was really just like the climactic moment of this episode you know from the i guess it's probably the b storyline with with hank but you know when you first watch the episode and you see the turtle sort of crawling along the the desert and you think oh the head's on top of there i don't think that you expect that it's going to explode what's the matter Schrader? You act like you never saw a severed human head on a tortoise before. <laughs> yeah, like, what a weird thing for, like, a DE agent to say, by the way. It's like he's seen, I guess he's seen a bunch of severed heads. Yeah, I mean, know, in his, his line um, of work. Hank's new colleagues are pretty They're pretty terrible. terrible. They're awful. <laughs> yeah. Awful people. Yeah. They're not ones you want to keep up those bonds with. Yeah, exactly. Think you could, you <laughs> sever those bonds, bonds as soon as possible. <laughs> But the reason I chose this as my, as my best scene is it's, it's, you know, pretty obviously, and no pun intended, the most explosive scene. It is the most, like, entertaining big thing that we see in the whole episode. And so just for that reason, I thought it was interesting. And I think that what I also found interesting is that, you know, they get someone like Danny Trejo, who's, you know, a big actor to play this character of Tortuga, and then not 10 minutes later, they cut his head off and put it on top of a turtle. So I think that's basically unexpected that point, for the a audience. cameo, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, very much so. You know, it's sort of like a, uh, it's just sort of unexpected for the audience. And I think that you don't expect the turtle head, the turtle with the head on it to explode. And I think that that moment is just going to further damage Hank's psyche, at least for the time being. So I think that not only is it exciting in the moment when you're watching the episode, but it will also provide some forward momentum for character as we move forward now josh do you know how they how they do that special effect to make it look like it's actually his head on the turtle do they make like a wax um yeah i'm sure that they do like a prosthetic they, yeah. they sort of make a copy of his head and then then they sort of put hair on it and you know make sure to do makeup on it as well and you know it doesn't have to look alive which is right. probably a benefit to the prosthetic <laughs> sure. department yeah. but yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's how they do it. It's uh it was it's an unnerving scene for sure. Yeah. Well, what was your best scene? Yeah, so mine I mean, if I'm being totally honest, my best scene is probably one of the ones that we'll talk about in the best writing best moment, but I yeah. I didn't want to double down on those. So, I picked this one that was just kind of a a short um sweet sensitive scene between Jane and Jesse, but it was also humorous because it has um you know, all the trademark characteristics of Jesse, which is to say he's uh you know, a sweet guy, but not super intelligent and doesn't use words properly. And Jane, who just has sort of this like deadpan humor and, uh, and it's just a perfect example of the relationship between the two of them. I work part-time down at ABQ Inc. Right on. Yo, you're a, you're a real good drawer. I used to do a little of that. Used to be a drawer too, huh? I just... Every time I hear that, I just can't stop laughing. Um, yeah, it's good. It is good. And I mean, it's, it, the, the full scene is a little bit longer than that, but not a whole lot longer. Um, that is, however, where she finds out that he's not Jesse Pinkman, or not Jesse Jackson, but actually Jesse Pinkman. Um, so she's learning more about her, her tenant every day. But it's also, it's, it's sweet because their relationship is developing little by little. And Jane is one of my favorite characters in Breaking Bad. And I think one of the... I mean, I think I would say one of the only good characters in Breaking Bad, and um, I like watching their relationship develop, so I thought that was a, a good scene. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead. The, the only other thing I wanted to say about that scene was that when, when Jesse is standing on the porch and the guy on the motorcycle comes by and he's like, yo, Pinkman, you're the one I've been hearing about. Like, uh, I get that it might have made the rounds in sort of like the drug community, but but like a random guy driving by on the street who who knows what he looks like. Yeah, that was this, a little bit on the nose. Again. This was definitely a nit that I had as well. I was gonna I was gonna pick this nit. It like how does this guy know who Jesse is? Yeah, it was a little bit strange. Yeah, Jesse is. I mean, it's true that he is one of the two guys responsible for all this, you know, really high quality meth that's making the rounds. But people don't know his face, right? He's I mean, he describes the the strategy as layered like nachos, <laughs> and it's it's layered like nachos to yeah. per, to protect anonymity of the people at various echelons of leadership. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, let's go on to best writing. Uh, you want to start with this one? Yeah. So my best writing scene is one that is between Jesse and Walt, and Walt is basically trying to convince Jesse to get back in the game and to sort of pick himself up and 
and to get going again. And the reason that I picked this scene, and we'll hear a little bit of it in just a second, is because by all accounts, this should not work. Like, what Walt is telling Jesse is so silly, and yet it establishes yet another layer in their relationships. Who messes with the blowfish, Jesse? Nobody. You're damn right. I'm a blowfish. You are a blowfish. Say it again. I'm a blowfish. Say it like you mean it. I'm a blowfish! Blowfish! Yeah! Blowfish in this up. So, so basically, right before this, this dialogue exchange, Walt is trying to think of something to tell Jesse to get him off his you know, butt and, and get him going again. And he says, you're like a blowfish. Like, you puff up and, and no one's, you know, even if you're not a really big, scary person, everybody thinks you are. Well, and actually, and it, was, it was worse than that, I thought, because it wasn't even, even if you're not a big, scary person. He actually said, you're like a blowfish. Think about it. Small, <laughs> insignificant in stature. <laughs> <laughs> right. And basically you can you can blow up because everybody believes that you crushed this guy's head with an ATM. Yeah, I mean talk and about you should use that compliment. to your advantage. Yeah. That's Walt's MO it seems at yeah. this point. But by all accounts this should not work. Like this is so silly. Like if someone was like, "Dude, you're you're small and insignificant, but you're a blowfish." I'd be like, "Okay, leave, please." Like, "No, thank you." But for some reason, it's what Jesse needs to hear, and I think that it just goes to show you that Walt understands how to get into Jesse's head. And that theme of Walt being able to manipulate him will just continue and evolve in really negative ways for Jesse as the series continues. And so for that reason, I picked it as the best writing in this episode because it has consequences in this episode, but also beyond as well. Yeah. And one thing I would just like to add to what you've already said, Josh, is that First of all, I agree with you that this, this hands down is the best writing in the episode. I just didn't want to double down and pick the same as you, so I sure. had a different selection. But I agree with your choice here as best writing. The second thing is, though, we play just a very small excerpt in the very end of it. But if you, if you watch the episode, I mean, the whole thing is about a minute and a half where Walt is going on this ridiculous, <laughs> this, this ridiculous blowfish analogy uh, or metaphor. And... Um, and it's it's just typical it's typical Brian Cranston slash Walter White just going on and on trying to dazzle with his intelligence and convince someone of lesser intellect that he is he's right and that his perspective is right. Um, and it's it's really just masterfully done by both sides. And the fact that Jesse buys it at the end and you hear that enthusiastic "I'm a blowfish" <laughs> at the end, uh, which again is another one I just can't I can't hear without laughing every time. Um, that is that is testament, I think, to what we mentioned at the very beginning, that this is this father-son relationship kind of developing, right? Because um, Jesse, he doesn't have exactly a father-son relationship with Walt, but a lot of the ways in which they relate to each other are father-son-like, and this is one mm-hmm. of those instances. Definitely. What was your best uh, writing in this this episode? All right, yeah, so my pick would be, would be a runner-up for best writing in the episode, and that is the scene in which Walt... Um, goes so this is this is before the blowfish conversation. Walt goes to um, pick up the money from Jesse's dealers, uh, as we've established. Skinny Pete, Badger, and Combo, and uh, they're in the museum again. By the way, another inter- interesting tidbit at the very beginning of this museum scene, which is the second museum scene, first time we heard about Bert the Turtle. This time we hear a voiceover in the museum about uh, Werner Heisenberg, who was a German uh, principal scientist in the German nuclear uh, weapons program. So. Um, he would have been one of the men responsible for a German nuclear weapon if it had ever come to fruition um, in World War II. But anyway, uh, I digress. So in this scene, he's talking with the three of them, and they want to figure out if Jesse's actually responsible for, for killing the guy under the ATM. Damn, man, it's all over town. Everybody's like, whoa, snap. Usually I got to chase dudes down for their money, but today everybody's paying up. True that. Serious. But like... Uh... He really did it. You didn't hear that from me. All right, so I left in the sound clip there with him walking away because it's a little bit over the top, I think, how you have the mm-hmm. air raid alarm and then the nuclear explosion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a bit dramatic. I think 
I think uh, maybe the the director overplayed his hand just a tad there. Um, but you did yeah, hear he was the probably tra- thinking like he was probably thinking like, oh, what if we left the air raid sound in, and then as he walked away, nuclear explosion, <laughs> perfect. It's like the audio equivalent of just walking away from the car explosion as it's behind uh-huh. you. Right? Yep, and not um, turning around. Exactly. So that's uh, that's what happened. That was a bit on a bit too on the nose for me at the end there. But I I just like the writing here. The acting also when you're watching this is is just a very it's a very well done performance all around. You hear that trademark like eight second pause uh, by Brian Cranston before he says, "You didn't hear that from me." Um, but I just think it's a it's a masterful bit of acting, but maybe more importantly, writing as well. The the idea being now the words out here that uh, Jesse uh, Jesse Blowfish Pinkman is out for blood, <laughs> um, and this is kind of a turning point, obviously, in Walt's thinking about this as well. And we'll find out later in this episode that. You know, Walt now thinks that they should start charging more money for the product. Uh, so, but even better about the writing is that Walt doesn't explicitly say that Jesse did it. Exactly, and I think that yeah. that is that is Walt's mo as he goes on. He is always looking for ways to distance himself from being involved in anything. So yep. when if anybody said, "Well, we heard it from Walter White Heisenberg himself," that and he could say, "No, I never said that." Exactly. I said you didn't hear it from me. Right. I said Which you didn't. He hear literally it. didn't hear it <laughs> yeah. um, from him. So I think that is a really smart way. Instead of hi- having him say, "Yeah, he did it. Be afraid of him." He exactly. just leaves that like air of mystery in there the whole time, and also removes himself from responsibility of the situation. Yep. Completely agree. Um, okay. Best moment. I'll start with this one. Uh, it's not a, uh, it's not an audio purely visual, but it's, it's at the very end when Jesse and Jane hold hands. Um, I like the, the blue screen that they're sitting in front of, um, that's searching for a connection. And then these two find a connection and, and hold hands. I just think it's a, it's a little bit cheesy perhaps, but, um, these characters and especially Jesse, these, they, they really, they need somebody in their lives. And it's, it's sweet. I think when they realize that, they are, they do have some sort of connection. Yeah, so I, I like that as well. And my, my best moment is actually just right before that. So the scene before they're sitting in front of this TV that doesn't work, they're outside on the back porch and, you know, Jesse is basically flirting with Jane and, or he's trying to, he's not very good at it. And he basically finally ends the scene by saying, Yo, do you want to come in and see my? It's I got this dope flat screen. It's, it's like it's amazing. I mounted it on the wall. For some reason, he did mount it like below a light. Kind of strange <laughs> placement. But but the cut is perfect. And this is it's also not an audio scene. But he goes from do you want to see my dope flat screen to them sitting there with the screen not <laughs> still not working. And it's just a perfect like humorous visual cut. And I I always find those to be funny even if you know they're coming or even if they do it multiple times but the idea that you're sort of using your editing for the joke is one of my favorite things in filmmaking and and television making when they're done well they're really good and so that happens right before zach's best moment of them holding hands yeah one other thing i'll add on that tv thing is that as they're sitting there and this tv is just showing a just constant blue screen he says He's like, yeah, it's got that thing where like the blacks are like really black, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then like you could almost finish the sentence right because then you you know the blues are really blue, and so that yeah. that again is kind of a nod perhaps to the title of the episode like black and blue right because right. this is one of those TVs where the blacks are really black, and yet here they are just looking at at blue right so yeah uh, I thought that yeah, was interesting. exactly all right nits to pick before we do our MVP votes what do you have all right so I have a couple here. First one is Jesse has a bunch of money at this point. Like he has a lot of money that he's clearly spending on drugs, but you know, otherwise he's not spending any money and yet he doesn't have a mattress. It seems he also does not have a couch. He sits on two lawn chairs in his, you know, apartment. Like if you're going to invite (laughs) a girl over to watch TV, why would you want to sit on lawn chairs? Like get a couch there. You know, if you have thousands of dollars from your drug dealing, might as well invest in a $500 couch or, you know, whatever pre Craigslist was, you know, get one and just put it in your apartment. So I thought that was, uh, that was a little strange. Very good point. And then the other one that I had was ATM machine. So ATM machine means, ATM means automated teller machine. 
And so when I first heard it in this episode, when Jesse was explaining to Walt what happened, he goes, you know, the ATM machine crushed this guy's head. And, and I thought, okay, that makes sense for the character. But then Walt said it too. And Walt is oh, supposed to yeah, be this really point. smart, smart guy. And he's also saying ATM machine. You know, if he had just said ATM, I would have thought that's perfect because he's clearly this learned guy. He's a scientist. Now he's not an English guy, so we know that. But someone that smart wouldn't be caught saying ATM machine. You know, if he he would know what that meant. And so I pointed that out as sort of like, you know, that's a little strange. Yeah, that's a good point. You're you're making me second second guess myself. Like, do I say ATM machine? I think I just say ATM. Yeah, but I I think it's just because one of those you're smart. Like, right, that must be it. It's the only <laughs> explanation. Uh, I think it's one of those things that like if you just hear people say it, you'll just say it because you don't. You know, like right. when I say ATM, I just think to myself that thing into which you put a debit card sure. in and you get money, right? So I'm like, I'm not sure. thinking AT. I'm not thinking. Um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like IHOP, but right. Yeah, uh, exactly. I just thought you know if someone is writing that dialogue out, yeah, you know, to be purposeful about what the characters say. I think in real life, sir, sure, anybody might just say ATM machine, but they're so purposeful with everything else they do that I was just like, okay, that's a weird thing for them to miss. And maybe yeah. it is just because Walt's not an English guy. Like he's not, he's a science. He's, he's, he's a chemist, scientist. yeah. Yeah. Makes Do you sense. have any nits? Uh, I've got a couple nits. Um, the first, you already mentioned a little bit, but this, this ridiculous Walter Jr. Um, affinity for Raisin Bran <laughs> crunch versus Raisin yeah. Bran. Like, first of all, why is this such a big deal? I mean, I kind of side with Skyler when she's like, it's basically the same thing. It's not like she... Um, it's not like she got, you know, the generic version of Captain Crunch when he clearly likes Captain Crunch. And it's not yeah. like she got... Um, I don't know, honey nut Cheerios when he likes regular Cheerios. You know, yeah, like you're right, right. Uh, Raisin Bran Crunch is just like Raisin Bran, and it has those little like Odie Crunch clusters in it. You know, right. I mean, they're pretty much the same. Raisin <laughs> Bran does crunch. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Uh, but he's just like ridiculous about the whole thing. Um, that's probably more of a nitpick against Walter Jr. than against the writing. <laughs> but then, yeah. uh, the second thing is, it seemed a little bit contrived when everyone was so opposed to Skylar's pregnancy. Like she was just getting all these looks while she's um in there, and it just seemed a little bit fake to me. Like I mean, there are certainly people who are who are not happy when people are pregnant. You know, people who think that you shouldn't hire women who are pregnant, et cetera. But for everyone in the office to be mean mugging her because she's pregnant seemed a little bit unbelievable to me. Right. It was like it was like the clique of people who hated pregnancy were the only people applying to that job. Yeah. Except for Skylar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A little little yeah. bit silly. <laughs> The only other thing I wanted to point out, it's not really a nit to pick, but it does sort of date the episode, is that Tortuga is is the one who is, um, he's looking in, in Sky Mall, and then, you know, Hank goes back and he's like, you know, what's after Sky Mall? Are you going to get like a sharper image catalog? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that just sort of dates the whole episode to like when this came out. Because is sharper image still a thing or did they go out of business? I have no idea. I'm and I also- right now. Is Sky Mall still a thing too? Like, I don't think I so. I, on... I haven't seen a Sky Mall for forever. I would imagine that Sharper Image is probably still in existence in some form, but the the whole Sky Mall thing like totally dates the episode. It's not really a nit to pick. Like it's pretty perfect for this this you know like person involved in the cartel to to think that that's like the American equivalent of wealth, right? But you know, so that's fine. But you know, someone watching this in twenty years is going to be like, what what the heck is Sky Mall? I've never heard of that. By the way, sharperimage.com. Definitely still a thing. You can, <laughs> Perfect. If you buy now, Josh, you can get 15% off site-wide. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And it looks like it's still all the same stuff, just useless gadgets you would never need. <laughs> I got a birthday coming up in February. This is amazing. Sharperimage.com. Perfect. There you go. I'm going to look up Sky Mall as well because I suspect that they are no longer in planes, but they still have a web presence. Let's see. That's probably true. Skymall.com. Look at that. Do you think what we can, can get some there? of those get some of those hundred dollar bill looking rugs yeah. that Tortuga wanted? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so give me or, twenty of them. <laughs> if if not, we can get a sponsorship for Breaking Pod from Sky Mall. Exactly. <laughs> Brought to you by Sky Mall. <laughs> Find your after, best cherry finished watch box and jewelry organizer. Or automatic we just pill trash dispenser. Sky Mall, then we get a sponsorship from them. That would be pretty great. <laughs> that would be awesome. I love it. All right. It's time for our MVP vote, Josh, and then we'll we'll call it a day here. So uh, we have several good options in this episode. I think Jesse had a good performance. Uh, I would say Jane had a good performance given her amount of screen time. Walt, obviously, up there. Skylar. I mean, there are uh, Hank. There are lots of lots of people to choose from. But who would you say is the most valuable cast member for this episode? 
Yeah, I'm going to give it to Jane, actually, for this episode. I She doesn't have a lot to do, but when she is on screen, she really pops. She's a great foil for Jesse. And I think you mentioned it either, either during the podcast or before we started recording, that she's, like, low-key smart. And that's a really fun thing for an actor to be able to play. But it's a hard thing for them to be able to play well so that they are actually smart, but that they, you know, don't necessarily come off smart. And I think that she's just a really entertaining character to watch. What do you think? Oh, I love the choice. I thought I was going to, you know, come out of uh, come out of left field with an underdog selection <laughs> with uh, also going with Jane. But I just thought she was fantastic in this episode. And, you know, just to kind of set the criteria, at least in my mind, clear for our listeners, when we say MVP, it's not the central character of the show. It's not the person around whom the plot best re- revolves. It's the person who did the best performance and contributed I think in my mind at least contributed to my um my viewing of this episode in the best way and for me that's yeah. that's Jane here because like you said she doesn't get a lot of screen time but in every episode she's she's really really good um yeah. she does the she does the humor uh she does the serious she uh, kind of does it all in between and um like you said is a great foil for Jesse and I love Jesse he's he's currently leading our MVP vote tally because he's so great, um, and Aaron Paul does a great job with his character, but she's a good foil for him, so she also helps him pop off the screen a little bit more, too. Yep, agreed. Cool, so our MVP votes now, the tally, Jesse 8, Walt 6, Crazy 8, Holden Steady at 2, <laughs> Skyler 5, Tuco 4, <laughs> Jane 2, surging ahead of Hank, who only has 1, and uh, Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast, at 0. <laughs> that's it okay it will never not make me laugh i know it's great well we will be back again soon hopefully not too long into the new year with another episode about season two episode eight the title of which is escaping me right now do you know it off the top of your head josh yes it is better call saul oh that's right i forgot it's the better call saul yes. episode okay i'm, I'm yes. more excited it'll definitely be not too long into the new year then we're gonna get it out yeah no we'll and i think we'll we'll get our ourselves on a regular schedule so we can get you guys episodes more frequently and more on a time schedule so that you can look forward to breaking pod episodes. That's right. If you want to uh, let us know what we missed or give us some feedback, breaking pod at vernacularpodcast.com. We'd love to hear what you think about these episodes or something that we missed. We'd love to uh, read off some mailbag stuff to our listeners on the next episode. So breaking pod at vernacularpodcast.com. Since we won't talk to you until after the new year, have a great New Year's. Hopefully you're enjoying the fourth day of Christmas. Have a great great Christmas season. We'll be back soon.